0: Is joined by Kenneth Shepherd. How you doing today, Ken. I am in my house for like the fortieth day in a row. You know, we all are. It's it, it is what it is. We gotta we gotta deal with what we got, but the nice part has been we have lots of time to play Dragon Age 2, which is mm-hmm. what we're covering today. And it, mm-hmm. that especially helps when we have so much Dragon Age 2 to play because uh this, this episode is going to be a little bit different from our previous episodes. Let's put it that way. Um, because of the structure of Dragon Age 2, uh, the entire first act is predicated on this idea of we need to get enough gold to buy into Bartran's expedition into the Deep Roads. And that involves doing a lot of main quests, but that also involves doing a lot of side quests to build up that money over time. Oftentimes, even more money if you end up making decisions like I did. That involve giving money away <laughs> and things like that. Um, it's not too difficult in my in my experience playing this game. I've never had trouble uh, getting mm. the the gold together, but there is actually like a safeguard they've built in to where if you do every, I think it's every main quest uh, in in Kirkwall, and uh, I think it's if you do all the main quests regardless of whether you have the money or not you can uh go do friends in low places which basically means you sign away uh the profit that you would have normally gained from that quest in order to you know proceed with the story uh so there is kind of a punishment there i guess for that which i think is interesting but we're not really going to cover that because we have a lot of quests to cover today because While previous episodes have been focused on very deep uh, character quests and recruitment, these are more kind of, I almost want to call them episodic quests. Mm, We set up a lot of storylines here in Act 1 that then get touched upon again in Act 2, and some of those even get touched on again in Act 3, the way that they develop throughout the game, which is something that i really like about the structure of dragon age 2 is that we have these big pillar moments you know the the end of act one really the start of act one the end of act one uh the end of act two and the end of act three are are like easy ones to point out and say like these are big moments and then there are obviously like ones in there but i'm being vague for those of you that are playing along with us um and that lets them kind of take these stories that would maybe normally have to be condensed time wise or be condensed quest wise and play them out over a Mm -hmm. longer period of time which i think is really cool and we're Mm -hmm. going to start to brush up against some of those today but for those of you following along at home we can't really just be like we're recruiting meryl today uh so i'm going to real quick run down the list of quests that we have determined these are not all the quests that you can complete in act one i know i personally completed every possible quest i could have in act one uh i don't think did you do all all like all the quests you had available ken i did as
1: much as i was as much as i was able to without like not searching for is not the word i want to use but like without having to like go to the nooks and crannies of like these really very benign like herbal like the, the herbalists uh like yeah no, favor or shit like that, that. like things like that but like the things that were like the main touchstones of like the sort of like adjacent plots of this game yeah i touched on all of them
0: yeah it's uh you know all the the there are fetch quest ones that we did not do there are also uh certain ones that were more like we'll start we'll start with those let's We'll, we'll start with some of those. So, real quick, here's the the list to run down. Uh, we are going over duty, which is the beginning of uh, Sebastian's recruitment. We do not... We checked this after the episode, actually, last week. We do not recruit Sebastian until uh, Act 2, but we have to do his missions either now or in Act 2 to be able to recruit him then. So, we did them now, obviously. Uh, then we've kind of stratified them out into... I guess general themes of what these quests are so the first block is going to be a lot of tie-in quests to dragon age origins so changing one's nature last of his line and miracle makers i've also thrown in the conspirators which i did not personally have but uh, i think it's interesting just to bring up there are some other ones as well that tie in with Warden's Keep and stuff like that, but since we did not play Warden's Keep as part of our playthrough of Dragon Age Origins, because who has the time, <laughs> we uh, we won't All be addressing issues. those as much. And really, I think a lot of our comments about that stuff would honestly be the same as what we're going to talk about uh, with these tie-in quests. Uh, then we'll be talking about, I guess, what you can broadly call the Kunari quests, which kind of introduce us to the point of friction that will become the centerpiece of act two which is uh the kunari that have been stranded quote unquote uh in kirkwall uh we'll take a quick uh rendezvous to the bone pit which is honestly maybe one of my favorite missions of this entire act uh Mm. i really enjoy all the bone pit stuff so i'm excited to talk about that uh very fitting that we're going to do it uh, right at the start of may hashtag mayday hashtag unionize um <laughs> and then we're going to head over and do some of the templar and mage quests as i've done them so uh act of mercy enemies among us wayward son magistrate's orders and the first sacrifice and uh, there are some other ones that take place here that tie into, say, whether you chose the mercenary or the smuggler route, but they're honestly pretty surface level, so I don't feel like they need a lot of analysis, and honestly, we have a lot of quests to get through today, so uh, we're <laughs> we're making a choice to prioritize uh, what we cover. So let's start with duty, and to, to kick us off, Ken, tell me a little bit about Sebastian, because I have no concept of who Sebastian is or what Sebastian is. So I want the takes from somebody who is aware of Sebastian's existence because as of right now I just know he's kind of a well to do prince that seems mm-hmm. to really want me to murder some dudes.
1: Yeah, he's a uh, he's got layers on that front, I guess. Uh like at the start we don't like like I said, we don't recruit him for so like in Act One we generally don't get much of a sense of who he is. Um you can kind of assume based on where we meet him that he has some ties to the Chantry and that like means a lot to him. Um, Given the way that certain things go you can imagine that by the end of this game he's kind of distanced from other people and that has kind of been like one of the main like I guess beats that a lot of people get on with this this game and Sebastian's role in it. Uh, It is a weird thing though I mean, it's not—it's not totally uncommon at this point, like because like even we talked about it in Mass two and three. He is a DLC character, so he feels like he is very easily picked out of the story without it really uh, having much of an effect on anything, um, and his sort of like relationship like with the group doesn't feel as like tight knit, especially because like I mean we, I mean, we've seen already that like they do a lot in *Dragon Age* two to kind of make this sort of small group feel like a family and Sebastian is always just kind of like this little outlier of that Um, Uh in general I don't have much I don't have very many feelings on him negative or or positive Uh, but I given the nature of the way his story goes I it does not I don't like blame anyone that doesn't have particularly nice feelings about him
0: The thing i find interesting about sebastian so far is that he is sort of sliding into this uh pulled out timeline a little bit to where his quest can be done uh across different acts and i think that's interesting because uh most dlc characters if you look at say uh kasumi and zaid in uh mass effect 2 you just kind of go and recruit them like you have their little intro cutscene and you recruit them and then you have their loyalty mission and that's Really, about all you get from those characters. So, it's interesting that we have even more uh, here from Sebastian. But honestly, like, we get kind of an intro. We get kind of the same thing. It's an intro cutscene. We meet Sebastian. We get kind of an idea of who he is. And then we can go off and kill all these different mercenary uh, squads. Which are thankfully, in my experience, they were kind of on their way to quests that I was already doing anyways. Mm-hmm. So it almost feels like it was laid out in that way for like, oh, it's an excuse to play the game again. You know, go do this and it'll be easy to do along the way. Um, yeah.
1: Unintrusive in that way,
0: I guess. Yeah. But in, in that respect, like it just does not leave a strong mark on me for Sebastian, because right. like you said, I don't have poor feelings or good feelings about him. I just, he's there, yay. Mm-hmm. And also, he's an archer from what I understand, mm-hmm. so I'm already not wild about that because if, if I'm thinking about what I, when I look at this cast and I look at what is normally available to the player, okay, so you have uh, two warriors, two mages, and two rogues. Like, right. you'll always have that. And of those rogues, you will always have a dual wielder and a an archer i mean the archer is literally like i don't think you can equip Varric with anything but his crossbow uh which i actually really like about Varric. i don't think we talked about that at all much but i i like the way that Varric handles very differently in that respect it makes it kind of weird for me as a rogue because i almost feel like i should be playing an archer because otherwise i don't really get to see what a normal archer looks like i just get to see what varic as an archer looks like even though it's really not that much different uh mm-hmm. but he's he's a better archer all around because of the abilities that he gets anyways i digress but that's why it feels weird to me to pick out archer as and not even just rogue because obviously if you if you calculate all that up and then you also add in the fact that your sibling can be either a warrior or a mage uh, rogue is always going to be the underserved uh, class is al- is always going to be the one that you could use another one of but rogue also feels like the class that is just kind of you're either doing one thing or another thing and it, it it's very highly specialized let me put it that way like mage is a class where you can have a character that spreads out into different uh, practices different fields and while they may kind of be cosmetically the same, you know, you might you might be like, oh, okay, my offensive mage is pretty set on their spells, so maybe I'm going to spec them into healing a little bit now. They can kind of cross that barrier a little bit. It doesn't really work the same for Rogue because the, the archery talents don't really play well into the dual dagger talents and vice versa. Uh, vice versa. I can totally talk today. <laughs> so all in all like i'm sitting here as a dual dagger rogue uh with another dual wielding rogue on my team and Varric, and i'm going like do i really need to add another archer to the squad uh and but i feel like it's that way for just about anyone because you're always going to have Varric around who's already like highly specialized in this field it feels like you're you're doubling up on it for very little reason
1: i I think that it's because like very can only use his crossbow, I think it's just like a character for them to have that can you can use like the equipment of like the
0: actual bows that you find throughout the game. Uh, yeah, that's true because I have sold a lot of bows. Yeah, it's um, it's it's interesting. I just, I want to see where they go with this character and what kind of story they end up telling. And I know that he actually ends up playing a role in Inquisition later. Um, Not like a major role, but he does show up in Inquisition later, and so I'm interested to see how that pans out. Mm. But altogether, this is not a strong start for Sebastian. Uh, Speaking of not strong, (laughs) let's talk about the ways that they tie Dragon Age Origins into Dragon Age Mm. 2. So, Ken, we've talked about this so many times, right? (laughs) The idea that Dragon Age... Dragon Age tells a world story, but it doesn't really tell a character story. Let's, I, I like putting it that way, because mm, I, I think... Mm, so I think it likes what, to what pretend I mean, it's one thing, but it doesn't... Yeah. What I mean specifically by that is that you don't have that Shepherd character that that sort of carry through from game to game to be able to be like, hey, this character has grown in this way. to your choices. And so the way it hands off is have said it before but it's similar to like a fantasy series like uh you know your your various i used to work at a bookstore i should know these better <laughs> like those various D D novels where they, they all take place in the same universe and might even have significant events that they all reference or experience in some way but you're seeing it from many different viewpoints and obviously like dragon age God, if Mass Effect had (laughs) a number of like outside media that influenced it, Dragon Age has a litany of that stuff Mm -hmm. because we've got like books to work with. We've got an actual role playing game to to contend with, like an actual tabletop role playing game for Dragon Age that exists. Uh, And even today, like we we talk about how Mass Effect is in this weird place right now. But even today, there's like a comic series that's coming out about uh, Fenris, I believe. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah there's there's a lot of Dragon Age material out there um and from a lot of different viewpoints you know they they try to really stretch it beyond just you know shepherd centric for lack of a better term like they try to stretch it beyond uh the core conflict of whatever the series is because Dragon Age doesn't really have one so in that respect the way that they tie a lot of stuff into dragon age origins is depending on certain choices you made uh certain quests will pop up uh a good example is last of his line which is a quest that pops up if you gave the throne to prince balin uh during the Orzammar quest in origins you end up meeting uh lord of renville harrowmont who is one of the last remaining members of the harrowmont clan is being hunted by the the carta uh, to be assassinated. Basically, it's implied that Balin is, like, hunting him down. <laughs> and mm. is hunting down the Harrowmont clan. And you get an option to either help the Harrowmonts, and I think you get, like, a really cool hammer later on if you do, uh, as well as, obviously, some gold. Or uh, you can help the Carta and, I think, get more gold up front. And, yeah, and you get it up front. You get, like, a smaller reward up front if you help Harrowmonts because they're obviously on hard times right now whereas uh i believe you get a much i'm reading this yeah you get three gold uh up front from assisting the carta whereas you only get one gold up front for assisting Harrowmont, but you get five more in act two which is obviously not when you need the gold but it's that's you know you're making a choice uh some other ones that pop up are things that tie into the urn of sacred ashes depending on the choices you made there uh, changing One's Nature, I think, is the one that most people remember, uh, which is affected by if you chose the werewolves over the Dalish. Um, and Ken, you and I also both encountered one that I wouldn't even really call a quest. It's more like an encounter uh, yeah. that is that you stumble upon if you cured the werewolves. That's uh, an encounter between the, I believe it's the elves that were from that forest, and then mm-hmm. also the uh, the humans who are now, you know, Human once more, no longer yeah. werewolves. All of these are very interesting, and it's cool to kind of have this part where the game looks at you and it's like, hey, you played Dragon Age Origins. These are the decisions you made, and here are some ramifications of them. But they feel so throwaway. And yeah. I think in Inquisition, even though a lot of this stuff still ends up feeling very throwaway, I feel like it makes more. Narrative context there because of the way that you have to engage with them. Uh, Inquisition, a lot of the decisions that are are involved with things like things that you've done in previous games end up just being like war table choices. Yeah. And you you know you really just kind of look at that and you go like oh haha ha, right that's that's that character and this is happening because I made this choice in that game that's neat and then you make a war table choice and that's it. But that that's reflective of what that game is which is you are operating on a much grander scale i mean you really can't have more of a contrast of scale between two games than inquisition and two because like two is the most small scale dragon age game it literally takes place inside one walled city and uh inquisition literally takes place across all of ferelden and (laughs) orlay so uh it's I'm almost more okay with it there versus here where I feel like the game is it, it, its literally like they're just going, oh, we should probably have something here and really all that comes of these and this is maybe why I feel this way is all that comes of this is you get a little reward. That's it. It's like, good yeah. job for playing Dragon Age Origins. It doesn't have, right. it doesn't even have any narrative connotation to the main narrative like there's not even follow up side quests or anything and a lot of these choices a lot of these decisions from what i remember are not referenced again after this so it's almost like they're just tying a bow on a lot of right. these it's and it's like one of the it feels examples, very throwaway
1: yeah it's one of the examples of the game sort of like struggling to i guess and the game and bioware to like struggle with like what the identity of this like world state is where like you said it's kind of like they're talking about a world story more than a character story i think it's just yeah. them really struggling with that idea that like we aren't necessarily a mass effect story where things are like supposed to have like a grander effect on the world in the future, but they also want that. in this at the same time, like it's too early in the season for me to get get on that particular soapbox. But
0: I mean, we're going to have that. We're going to be coming back to this a lot. I feel right, um, yeah. and. For, for complicated reasons, the more I play this game, the more I feel like it might be my favorite contained experience that we've we've done for the mm-hmm. podcast so far. Like, if I'm just looking at it independently, like Mass Effect 2 and Dragon Age 2 have definitely been my favorites so far to talk about, to discuss, to analyze. And even when I can see both of their faults, uh, ind- individually, they're fascinating games to talk about on their own merits. But then... Once we start to try and pull the lens back and contextualize that within the larger Mm -hmm. uh, text, within the larger world that they live in, you start to see a lot more of the cracks that pop up. And, you know, it's something that once we get to Inquisition, we'll be talking a lot about this, about how they're kind of trying to create that unified narrative that will be able to stretch farther out uh because that's what i felt a lot of inquisition was was them trying to basically say like this is our canon this is Mm -hmm. our world we're condensing it all into one world state that's a lot easier to manage uh which is even reflected by the creation of the keep which Mm -hmm. is uh i can't wait to talk about that i'm really excited to talk about that the keep is wild man uh (laughs) but uh yeah it's that's really all I have to say about the origins quest. Is they're just yeah. kind of there. They just kind of exist and they they they're nice to help you get to that 50 gold mark that you need to get to, but that's that's really about it. You know, it was nice yeah. that I was like, oh, "Oh, cool. They remember the choice I made for the Werewolf quest. That's neat. Can I like talk to the Werewolf dude? Can I get an update on how things are going? Yeah. No, he's just going to take off after, after giving me some gold like, okay. All right. Yeah. Um let's talk about the Canary uh, a faction we have admittedly not talked very much about, uh, considering right. how pivotal this stuff is going to be in Act Two. Uh, a lot of it gets the groundwork gets laid in these next few missions we're going to be talking about, and I think one of the easier ones to start with to lay that out is Shepherding Wolves, which is a quest where Sister Patrice, who is a sister of the Chantry, it, it asks Hawk to help a chained and colored kunari mage uh named Katogen mm-hmm. <laughs> who well let's say who has been named Katogen mm-hmm. um out of the city and basically set them free. This is a really this is one of the quests that once I finished it I needed to kind of just step away from Dragon Age for a bit there are two of them mm-hmm. this in this episode that we'll talk about where I had to like just kind of walk away for a bit and gather my thoughts because this it's a very interesting quest in the way that it resolves let's put it that way um so after we hear a rumor about uh someone in the chantry offering good money for uh help we go down to low town and we rescue sister patrice from a mugging and once we rescue her, she's like, "Okay, you're clearly capable. I have a job for you. Come see me at this other place." And uh, you meet her at a safe house, and that's where she introduces Katojin. As we learn, mm. uh, Katojin, Ket- as she has dubbed him, is a Kunari mage, and we haven't really talked about Kunari mages much, but it kind of carries a lot of the same narrative connotations that say a uh, uh, that Fenris does. their, mm-hmm. their mages are quite literally you know like chained and collared and and mm. drug around and they have a lot of very direct means of controlling their mages and i find that really interesting in the context of here we have a chauntry member who is saying like it's it's terrible what they do to these mages it's just unspeakable but like mm. we're, we're talking to the freaking chauntry who is like right Doing terrible things to mages every day. We've already seen it, you know, through the tranquility Pot, and, kettle, and all that. Um, what was that? Pot and Kettle? Yeah, yeah, seriously. It is. It's like, you know, it's. <laughs> Sister Karen here is telling us about the plight of the Canary. Mm. And I'm like, Did, can we talk are... about
1: her, like, the way that she talks to us and how in- fucking infuriating oh,
0: it is? God, she talks down so much. It's the freaking worst. And oh. Like she, before like anything has happened, and like
1: she's trying to like carry on like this illusion of civility, she still like uh-huh. makes these like little jabs, like, "Oh, if you were important enough for me to know, then you wouldn't be good for this job because it cannot, you cannot be seen doing this by people who might know me, who might connect me to what's about to happen." And I was like, "You're not exactly doing a lot to like make your case here for that why I should give a shit about you." But then, like, she does ring the canary, and so, like, she does, a, like, regardless of, like, whatever her intentions might be, me as, like, a mage that sympathizes with that particular cause, I'm, like, I'm less worried about you as I am this, this chain canary, but also fuck you.
0: Yeah, and it's... It... Okay. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll, let's put a pin in that. We'll come back to, to Sister Karen here. Uh, we're... <laughs> Once we've agreed, which I believe even if you try to refuse helping her, you do have to end up helping her anyways because this is, like, a main quest. Um, we decide to help Ketogen, uh get out of the city through this underground tunnel. Uh, as we work our way through, there's just a bunch of thugs and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty standard dungeon. But at one point, there is a uh, thug leader who tries to... Uh, <laughs> like, they they... They like threaten Hog and Katojin steps in uh, and unleashes his magic and kind of starts battling alongside you, and that's kind of the first hint we get that maybe this this person this this Kunari it, it's really strange, right? Because all all we've heard from this this Kunari is, is like just basically like gurgling sounds, right? Mm. Like they they can't really speak. Um, but they do react to that, and that's kind of the first time we get a hint of that. And then once we get out to the wounded coast uh, to let him get away, uh, we find a band of Kanari waiting for us, uh, and they call Katojin Sarabas, which is in Kanari language means dangerous thing. Uh, one, one critical thing that we kind of glean here about Kanari culture is that they really more ascribe labels to one another than they do Mm. uh, names because names are kind of frivolous (laughs) you know Mm. it's it's it all it all ties back to the Coon and um, the the cune. they they always say it very strange it's like (laughs) I feel like every Kanari has a different way of saying it in these different Mm. games because Sten didn't really put like inflection on it but uh in this game i always remember them being like the q <laughs> and, um it's uh it's it's a weird word but as we are told by the Arvorod, as i am hoping i'm getting that right um uh, the the sarah boss has spent time away from his handler and may be corrupted by demons and thus must die hey where have we heard that before (laughs) and uh basically katogen's karatom you know like his band of of warriors basically were killed and uh was stolen away which gives us an implication that the what happened here was intentional and Mm -hmm. in fact there was a trail of bodies leading to the point that we emerged from so it's likely that sister patrice sent us on this path knowing that we would run into the kunari so at this point we can we can ask about the kunari collar and and we kind of learn about the i think it's called the control rod that Mm. they use it's like literally a staff that allows them magical, like a binding spell control over mages who have the collar on. Like how the and dwarves
1: so, would do with the golems in Orzmar.
0: Yes, yes. And so it's a very direct, um, it's a very direct approach. Um, but doing that, um, we have a few options here, some of which can result in us siding with arvarad um it's it's very strange so i'm reading on the wiki because there are a lot of different ways that this can branch out i took the option that was like no i'm going to help Ketogen. um i'm going to help him escape um and i I chose the option that allowed him to fight with me basically um and, and we end up killing arvarad and the others uh, you can also end up in a result where uh, Arvarad uses the binding spell and you just have to fight the Kanari on your own um, or we can let the Kanari take Ketogen uh, and they'll basically give him a ceremonial death then Arvarad will say that um, since Hawk is worth following is how they phrase it here they are also worthy of the ceremonial death required by the Required by the Kuhn because they were a rounded, unsupervised mage. So no mm. matter what, you are going to fight the Canari here. Right. Uh, either you can try to side with them and get told like, you know, no, actually, we're just going to kill you two, or you side against them and you fight mm. them. Um, and,
1: and if you're a mage and you like bring it up in the conversation where you're like, kind of like making your case for why Kotoshin should be free, they will make the attack because that is like the level of what they like as i don't know as salvageable as, i think mages as people are i don't know but mm-hmm. uh like i was even like i was able to read the room and not be like hey i'm a mage and i'm not bad but cuz i figured they were going to attack if they knew that, that they were in the presence of another mage so
0: yeah and and Quick so minute. the the way that this resolves though is if if ketogen slash Sarabas does not um if we hand them over or whatever option we choose if they die there they die there otherwise if they survive the fight with the Kanari, they basically sell he says that he must return to the coon um he must return to the the way of life that he abides by and that yep. that is his life and he self-immolates uh killing himself um yep that was kind of the part where i needed to stand up and think for a little bit Mm. because i mean there are some obvious real world parallels that you can draw to Mm -hmm. the practice of um you know i don't don't know what to call it other than like a hard stance on your religion like extremely extreme faith i guess Mm -hmm. you would call it not extremism but um, just abiding that closely to your faith, um, to the point of literally
1: fucking killing of people,
0: self-immolation. Right? I mean, yeah, there there are cases in real life of mm-hmm. people immolating themselves because of what they believe. And this Dragon Age Two, sorry for lack of a better term, like really plays with fire a little bit mm. in this um in this regard because it it just runs headfirst into this stuff i mean they're right. basically showing you you know, in in the first game we got the sense that the the Cune was just this uh code of honor that it was just their way of life it was it was the same as like the dwarven caste system where it's like okay this is this is just how the canari do things and that's you know that's their culture and they do what they do it's the same as you know uh, the the Turians and how they have mandatory military service and things like that. Right. But we get a much starker picture of it here, like right from the outset by seeing that you no, know, this is a way of life for them in the way that it also carries connotations of death mm. <laughs> if they if they stray from it. And we're we're really just seeing like what it means to for for these. For the Canari to stray from that stuff, mm-hmm. and yeah, I uh... it's it's really it's tough. It's it, it's honestly like tough subject matter to deal with, and right. I don't know if I'm fully in a place yet where I can say whether this is good what they did because I don't feel like it was played up for shock value, which is the one thing that overall in Dragon Age Two, uh, I don't feel like there's a lot done for just sheer shock value right. because. I felt that happened a lot in Origins. Like we talked about it, there was a lot of times where they just show this really gratuitous death scene, and it kind of felt like Game of Thrones or whatever. It's yeah, like, yeah. oh, look at how dark the fantasy is. And no, the self-immolation here is like very. It's almost it. It feels like symbolic in a way, you mm. know. Like he's he's destroying himself with the magic that could afford him that freedom and and right. could leave, but the. But the code holds him to a higher mm. like calling than that. It holds him to a higher set of rules than that. Yeah, and it's really just kind of used to show us like the the Canari their their way of life is definitely one that does not sync up with Kirkwall. Let's say. Mm.
1: Yeah. So I've been I'm of several minds here. So. This, this is a, a weird tangent to go on, I've been I've been re- replaying Final Fantasy X, mm-hmm. and I mean you and I huge fans of that game, uh, yes. And the core of that game is like religious liberation and sort of like the actual like tearing down of these systems that have been in place for you know hundreds of years. That as like because you, you play as a character in the game that is kind of existing on the outside of it, and by being in a char- by being in that particular character's shoes. You're able to kind of—it's like you can see the matrix, and like you can see the ways in which these systems that are in place are kind of this like self fulfilling prophecy that it keeps people in line and like in a very certain mindset. And something—and you know—it is the foundation of that. At the end of that game is that—I mean, this isn't like a direct spoiler, I guess—but like for a, a almost twenty-year-old game. But th- you know, the end of that game is about. Them, you know, the the most devout characters in that world, see like you know, seeing through what they have been taught to kind of, you know, one you know completely eradicate that religion, but also like take down the forces that are there to sort of really take advantage of that. Um, mm-hmm. And then, so Final Fantasy X-2 comes along, and that entire like the entire world is different in that game and like there you know there are people that are like trying to stay steadfast into something that they have been basically proven that they were like tricked into but it also is like you see people living like very different lives because they now have the freedom to do that something that i don't think dragon age does i don't know if it's fair for me to say it doesn't do it well but like because i mean it might just not be the intention of the Dragon Age series for the player to be that sort of, like, Yuna figure in the universe. Like, the person that is willing to be like, no, these things, you know, this is all bullshit. We are going gonna to take it down. We are going to, like, make a stance about, the, like, how these systems that are in place treat people and the ways, like, the lies that people get, like, boxed into. Um, and it's, cause, like, there is a part of me that's like, Yes, everything that is happening to Katojin here it seemed like fucked up to me. But is that is that cultural like is that cultural imperialism to be like my way of thinking is better and is the thing that is like that the world should you know ascribe to and in general like now that I'm thinking about it now like a lot doesn't change for a lot of the injustice in the Dragon Age universe like you know depending on you know the, the choices you make in both to and Inquisition, well, really more just in Inquisition. Um, things might happen different. like, might be different for some people by the time that game is over, but I feel like progress in the Dragon Age universe feels very slow, and hmm. it is a kind of frustrating thing to be seeing things like a person that is so brainwashed by this these ideals that he feels like he has to kill himself to, like, for, for being born a certain way, like being mm-hmm. considered an abomination amongst the people, like just just because of the where he grew up. It's not like, it's not any fault of his, but he has been made to believe that the very nature of who he is, is an abomination to, or an affront to nature. And it's, I don't know. It's like, I, I don't play as a canary So like maybe my character isn't ever like in any of these games is ever in like the position to be that person, to make that change. But it's just something that I hope that this hypothetical Dragon Age Four that's coming out will maybe address and like make more substantial change, like very quickly. Like I mean, and, you know, that is the the very like that, that is the most important conflict of Dragon Age Two, but it's that three games in the
0: making before anything actually happens. You know. The interesting thing that I I keep thinking about in regards to this is that. We're throughout this game, and and even through the next couple of missions that we do, we're never shown the positive effects of the cune. We're just mm-hmm. shown what it is, and right. I think in a game that really goes out of its way to display two sides of a conflict to say, hey, this is, um, like, hey, there are bad templars and good templars, there are bad mages and good mages. Um, it's it is really interesting to me that the kanari don't receive that similar kind of treatment. They just kind of exist as a presence in the city. Um, mm-hmm. And, and like, it's I, not that you don't have, like, I mean, even if it's like, not, not always shown in action,
1: that at least people try to explain, like, what they get out of being part of the Cune, and then it's usually, like, they talk about, like, the certainty of it, like, that people are given right. a role when they are born, and then they just kind of live that way. Like, they don't have to deal with, like, the anguish of trying to figure shit out and that's you know right
0: yeah we get some of that even from like sten in dragon age origins um you know if we bother to talk to him but it's um i guess what i'm saying is that this mission never has an outcome that tries to be like oh, actually, he went back to the Kunari, and everything was great, he's living a great life. It's like, no, this is just the way that this shit is going to happen. Like, that's that's what this is, and we're not going to try and tie any sort of bow on top of it to say, like, oh, but actually, this is good. Like, no, this is just the shit that happens. This is their way of life right now. And it does make me wonder what that looks like in a future game if they ever do try to address the the kune at at large and like really try to grapple with those systems and instill that sort of thing because i mean the other thing that we have to consider here is that um much like we talked about in mass effect quite often is that the idea of whether our character is the right person to intercede or not and that gets very nebulous when we get into uh I mean, we had it in Origins as well, but when we get into Inquisition, there are definitely very nebulous areas of that where our character is kind of forced to intercede, whether it is their place or not. And I feel like the the canari aspect would just escalate to a level that is like so much more um but the the contrast that I do like is we we reel this quest back into uh, revisiting sister patrice after all this and kind of uh being like hey you set this shit up
1: yeah real um, quick she
0: doesn't remember our name what she doesn't remember our name she's like you're, oh yeah. you're
1: hawk right from from earlier yeah. right and it's like i just left
0: and, like and an hour um, ago her her like tag along varnell will like bark at one of your companions and depending on who it is he'll call them like ferelden or woman mm. or elf or whatever like you definitely get that like scumbag vibe from them immediately um and as we um as as we gradually uh t- we we get to a point where we're basically told yeah we wanted to set this up uh to where it would have escalated the kunari threat um you get the sense that she did not think that you were going to survive the encounter (laughs) Mm -hmm. um and she's basically like whatever here's your money just walk away and if you ever try to tell anyone about this they're not going to listen to you because i'm a sister of the chantry and you're just some scum so who's going to listen to us And it's like oh it's the most Mm -hmm. i am anticipating the comeuppance i am (laughs) eagerly anticipating it um yeah
1: yeah yeah
0: i do find it weird that we get rivalry points here for saying i should kill you from Varric because i feel like Varric should especially given things that happen at the end of act one should very much be Mm. on board the i should kill you train (laughs) um but uh whatever another one of those weird maybe inconsistencies and this this kind of let's let's segue this into uh black powder promise next because there is actually a thing that can happen here because of black powder promise um actually can you also does the viscount stuff also pay play into this as well should we talk about the viscount stuff first uh, I mean, it's probably... Yeah. Uh, we, yeah, because we can... Let's do Viscount stuff yeah. first. Um, yeah. So there is a side quest that we can take on to help find the Viscount's quote-unquote missing son. Um, we're looking for Seamus, uh, the son of Viscount Marlo Dumar. Uh, Viscount, essentially, like, not king, but, like, basically the, the highest authority within the city of Kirkwall.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, his son has gone missing. And as we go to get the information, the lowdown, uh, we run into another mercenary company who is also searching for him. Um, and I'm suddenly blanking on what that mercenary company company's name is. The winters. Uh, it's a good name. <laughs> it's a really <laughs> good mercenary company. Like I, I remember playing that and being like, Oh man, I would totally name my, my sick mercenary company that the winters. Oh, that's a good name. Um, after a heated exchange there, we get the lowdown on what's going on. We learn that Seamus is kind of known for hanging out with the Canari mm. and getting to know them, fraternizing, as it were. Um, not necessarily in the uh, romantic aspect, but just in the he admires them in, in some ways and wants to learn from them. Uh, and as we stump as, as we stumble our way out to the wounded coast and get to where we have heard Seamus was last reported seen with some Kunari. we find uh, some dead Kunari, especially one named Ashad uh the we also find Seamus and we find the mercenary from the winters from before uh named Guinness 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 I don't know keen mares ears just perked up <laughs> um but uh as we as we learn Seamus had left of his own accord and was basically just hanging out with the Canary learning about their ways and their life and uh <laughs> is basically like all right uh I'm here to drag you back home Seamus uh does not want to do so uh Janus begins to get violent, threatening to charge... or threatening to cut out Seamus' tongue Mm -hmm. and charge extra for bringing him back quiet, uh, and then starts a fight with Hawk, and then we get into this very, very long fight, basically with an entire army, as they slowly make their way into our little alcove. Yeah. Uh, But once we're done killing an entire mercenary company, um, we... We finally talk to Seamus and we bring him back to the Viscount and this is kind of where the actual choice of the story happens, which is we can either not interject in the arguments between Seamus and his father, who does not condone his fraternizing with the Canari. We can say, like, Seamus, you need to, like, listen to your father, you, you went too far, like, dude, bring it back a bit. You can say, actually, Seamus is right to question why we don't trust the Canaries right to want to learn more about them, or we can say that they're both stubborn fools, which is what I did. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I, um...
1: So, there were, like, even in the last quest we talked about, I am not at the point where I feel super comfortable with my hawk being, like, involved... Like, too involved with anybody's business that's not Mm. his own, because... You know, I'm not, I'm, I'm playing the sarcastic hawk. I'm playing the person that is supposed to just kind of be like stumbling through his ascent into Hightown. And it felt weird to me to like, to even be there and like have not left before the conversation started. So I was just like, this is not my business. So I just walked out.
0: Uh, but see, Cheeky Hawk is always, re- you're both stubborn fools. <laughs> like, that's that's totally Cheeky Hawk. Come on come on Mm. um no i get i get what you're saying um and really all that changes here is if um if we choose to not make a choice um really really seamus just kind of uh, he just kind of has a dialogue later and that's it (laughs) i wanted to be like oh you know he changes his stance or whatever but that really doesn't affect anything in the long run uh not like some other choices we make in these quests do um doesn't affect like you know say whether a character pops up later or not uh it's really just later on he might have a little dialogue thing that's like you really changed the way i thought about the world hawk that's maybe the one bummer about this quest is that it feels like it uh does not have a strong outcome. Like it doesn't have a mm. strong effect on the story at large, despite yeah. it involving the Viscount and the Canari. Like I
1: think it's right. I think it's just more of a kind of gateway into that particular conflict because like the Viscount is gonna like the Viscount and his relationship to the Canari and that sort of like tension that they've got going on will be like an actual, you know, major mm-hmm. factor of the next act. So I think it's good to at least have that sort of like foot in the door to like know who these people are, know yes. the conflicts that are happening, regardless, of, like, regardless, of, not even the big picture ones, but just, like, the smaller ones, like, oh, the Viscount's son is a Canary sympathizer, and, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's at least good to have that context. I don't know, like, again, I don't think it changes much regardless of how we inter- interject or don't, but, yeah, it's just, it feels more exposition than anything else.
0: Mm-hmm. In the same vein, we've got the Black Powder Promise, which is the last of our Canari missions here. Uh, which i'm going to just kind of speed through the intro because that's not really the interesting part uh as as we're venturing along uh the wounded coast or as long as we're like traveling outside the city we have a chance of stumbling upon an ambush in which we'll fight a bunch of giant freaking spiders which i don't remember if we talked about how big the spiders get in dragon age but pretty big um we're we're coming up pretty close to one of the most frightening bosses i've ever fought in a video game uh at the end of act one that shit was just no man oh god i'm not looking forward to reliving i had to take a screenshot because i was just so like horrified i was like oh my god um but here we get reminded that yes there are giant spiders in dragon age and yes they are horrifying uh, and we meet a dwarf named Javaris Tintop who wants us to kill some Talvashoth in order to win favor with the Arishok. Uh So two big words that just came up. Talvashoth, as you might remember from Dragon Age Origins, is the name given to Kanari who leave the Qun, who leave uh, the Order and have kind of struck out on their own. Uh, and the Arishok is the leader of the band of kunari that is taken up in uh in kirkwall so the aeroshock is just kind of like the 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 head honcho the the (laughs) equivalent of the viscount within the kunari tribe um and i guess we we talked earlier that the whole setup to this is that uh a ship of kunari kind of ran aground uh near kirkwall and they're supposed to be there set up as like oh they're waiting for another ship to come Mm. get them and take them home uh but the the kind of constant belief is they have kind of their own area almost like an alienage or whatever but it is uh in a suspiciously nicer part of town compared to Mm. the alienage uh but also it's it, it gets gradually implied that a lot of people in kirkwall don't think that they're there by accident right uh Anyways, uh we wanna he wants us to kill some Talvishoth because he thinks that he can then turn that into a favor, which he could then use to get the recipe for uh basically gunpowder, like black powder. Right. Uh from the Canary. which first off I thought was interesting just because normally in fantasy media dwarves are the ones that have figured out how to use gunpowder. You know, it's very like typical of mm. fantasy media to uh, have have dwarves be the blacksmiths but also be the ones who have discovered the use of these minerals uh so the canari having it and i I love the way he talks about it where he's like yeah we could use lyrium but also gunpowder is like way more effective way more portable uh and way more destructive in large quantities than just normal old lyrium and you won't get like lyrium poisoning from it even though the dwarves don't but um we we go and fight a bunch of Talvashoth. We do have an option. There is one uh, Talvashoth who uh, kind of explains to you why they left the Cune. Who basically says like they were dissatisfied with their roles, uh, but they didn't want to sell their swords. Um, you know they they. They don't like the code, but they also won't like stoop to mercenary work, so they're just murdering and thieving instead, which is kind of just bizarre. Um But under under the Cune it is actually worse to be a sellsword than to be a thief and a murderer, so a little bit of exposition there uh he kind of gives us the heads off like hey the the talvashoth are over there please go murder him i'm gonna go be a mercenary because this is all really stupid um (laughs) big fan of that dude (laughs) and after we do a whole lot of fighting with the Talvishoth, just really uh fighting our way through a lot of talvashoth in here um we go back to the docks to meet back up with javaris and report to the airshock what has happened and this is kind of where the crux of the mission is uh this is the first time we meet the AirShock. Um There are several things that can happen here that kind of play into what's going on. So Um After a conversation, uh the Airshock basically says like, Hey, <laughs> you you misunderstood what I was implying. I'm not going to let you buy the powders formula. Like, right. just because you like thanks for clearing out the Talvashoth, but like you're assuming a little bit here uh Javaris gets dragged out and we can choose um (laughs) he still owes me or I was promised future profits to get gold um but we also can earn respect here through Mm -hmm. various ways from the air shock and that plays into not just a uh an achievement later on but kind of like changing some of the dialogue in a later conflict uh the way that we get respect here is either by saying i was promised future prophets um or we can also have fenris here because mm-hmm. fenris as it turns out uh can speak canari <laughs> can speak the language of the kune uh it, it it adds a little bit of extra dialogue where they're just kind of like oh uh you know culture that's neat right. um King. and it also gets us a point of respect but uh there's one other thing that we should mention here. Uh, if we have Isabella in the party uh, and we go to talk to the Aeroshock, she will basically come up with an excuse to leave and you'll have to switch your party out, not have her in it. Right. Just. I wonder me. why. Put a pin in that. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just, uh, just put a little pin in that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's this is ultimately very um it's it's very small uh there's a lot of like little things little threads that this picks up side note there is a little uh piece of trivia that you can glean here if bethany is in your party when you approach the compound uh she makes mention of uh kunari a kunari in Lothering killing one of her best Mm. friends uh, so you learn that Sten uh, killed basically a, a best friend of Hawks in, right. in Origins. Neat little tidbit, yeah. but uh, this is ultimately just kind of them them just being like, "Hey, this is the Airshock. He means business. He's mm-hmm. not screwing around." Uh, it might be worth
1: ha- let like having his respect.
0: Yes. Yeah, and and also like you've heard a lot about the Canari up to this point. You know, there's there's a lot of ambient dialogue in the city where they're always talking about the Kanari threat and stuff like that. So it's really interesting to see him as a character because I actually think that the Aeroshock is one of the more interesting characters in Dragon Age as a whole. Like as yeah. as a I guess I mean, we can straight up say he is a villain. Like in the trailers they were showing him as yeah. someone that you eventually fight the reasons why we will soon uncover but Mm. uh you know he is i think one of the more interesting let's say antagonists in dragon age as a whole um Mm. i think there's maybe only one other character that really batches up to him and we won't be talking about that person for a very long time so (laughs) um he's he's interesting because he is just this presence you know he's it's it's a great performance that the that the voice actor the air shock puts on and it's a great um like the way they present him the way that you walk in and he's sitting on his throne already and he's very stoic and he's the dwarf is like you know talking his ear off and he's just kind (laughs) of like no just ends it right there like he just has a presence that is just incredible so i i really i like this i like this is yeah. a cool quest this, this reminded me why i like the air shock so much yeah um we'll get back to more on that in act two when that stuff kind of comes to a simmer let's say uh we do have one quick side note before we jump into the templars and the mages here uh we do have the bone pit which is a side quest that we can get involved in, but a really fun side quest, wherein basically we're asked by a merchant named Hubert to clear out a mine outside the city called the Bone Pit. Uh, a crew had gone in and he had not heard from them since. And once we get there and start delving into it, we find out that the whole mine has basically been infested with dragons. <laughs> um, they hit a wrong vein somewhere and dragons just started flooding into the mines uh this i like this mission a lot first of all because it reminds me a lot of Novaria in mass effect one like i get a lot of the same vibes from Mm. from this you know you you walk into the bone pit and there's just kind of scattered tools and stuff like that everywhere but you don't see any workers um you know you get the sense that something bad happened but you don't know what and the really cool part is that you can see from the top of the mountain before you go into the bone pit you can see the sort of area that you emerge in that you will eventually fight the the final boss this area in but you can't see the boss which is i think great um there's a lot of little touches in this that are really really good but after we've fought our way through and fought through tons of dragonlings and even some actual um (laughs) in actual dragons we fight our first dragon of dragon age uh, if you don't count that... Um, wait, no. No, that didn't happen yet. So, yeah, this is the first dragon of Dragon Age 2. Uh, we, we get to return to Hightown, and we get the option of various rewards, but we can also get a share of the mines. Mm. And this opens us up to go do Get Back to Work, which is us convincing the workers to get back to work. And as we're convincing them to get back to work, and they will tell us, like, they're former Fereldans and they are happy to work for a Fereldan as long as one of their own is working for them. Mm. You can convince them to organize and, like, basically <laughs> start to plant the seeds of unionization. And, and this, the bone pit stuff plays out throughout the game, I believe, at least in Act Two. I can't remember if it extends to Act Three or not. But. I just love that that that's in this game because i was like (laughs) what are we missing on the bingo card of topics that dragon age 2 is going to address (laughs) we've talked about religion we've talked about race we've talked about civil war we've talked about class inequality let's add labor (laughs) organizations it's so good i was like cool we got a bingo um yeah i i like the bone pit i think it's a so far, all the quests we've talked about tie into the larger plot at hand in some way. And I think the Bone Pit is the most effective side quest that exists outside of right. the framework of the story. Just because it it seems almost comical at first. Like, oh, hey, no. we hit this wall and some dragons came out. And, oh, boy. And, you know, I'm, I'm making light of a lot of miners getting murdered. But um, <laughs> it's it just seems so... Apart, like it felt like a breath of fresh air. I think I played it right after I did the um, the Sister Patrice quest, and I was like, "Oh, this is this is the quest I needed." The, the is... palette cleanser. Yes, and it's so good. It's a very good quest, and especially if you are a sarcastic hawk, you get some great responses, uh, especially to Hubert, the guy who's running the bone pit, where you can be like, "You really want him to get back to work, you know?" After they kind of just mm. all watch their friends die. <laughs> Yeah. i mean they're hammered they like aren't feeling it like right after yeah um so on that cheery note let's talk about mages and templars again great um let's start with a wayward son boy okay so this this mission uh we meet sir thrask a templar uh near an entrance to a cavern um, oh sorry this is not wayward son this is uh, act of mercy i got that mixed up so let's start with act of mercy actually uh, because that one eventually leads into uh, or yeah wayward son eventually leads into act of mercy um, so starting with wayward son we can we get told that there is a son who knows magic to um he's, he's the son of a an elf in the alien age and we can either talk to the father, Vincento, who is a human merchant, so we know that uh, fainreal who is the the son that we're trying to rescue, is uh, half human, half elf, uh, which comes into play later. And uh, or we can talk to Thrask, who is the Templar that has been searching for fainreal I screwed up, and I did not. Uh, <laughs> Did not get the information from Vincenzo, so I had to talk to Thrask. So that's why I bring this up before we do Act of Mercy. Mm. I don't know if you got the truth out of Vincenzo and did not have to talk to Thrask. I
1: I know when I went when I did go to talk to Vincenzo, I didn't ha- like I, I was able to convince him. And oh, I guess I know what, why the difference would be because if you okay, so, okay, the you know the premise is like the, the son wants to leave because.
0: Wants to having... defa- leave and and go to the Dalish, I right. believe. Be- yeah, yeah,
1: because he is. No, realizing. he does not want
0: to go to the Dalish yet. I'm sorry. This is such a. This is a really. There's a lot of hooks and and draws in this quest, and it goes in a lot of different places. So he just wants to run away because he doesn't want to be in a circle. Right. And his mother he... wants him to go to the circle because she thinks his his nightmares, his his magic is getting worse. Right. So, after you've had all those conversations, if you go talk to Vincenzo, she you knows she's like.
1: He might have gone to his father because, you know, he's looking for somebody that's not trying to get him to go to the Templars. Originally, or, like, initially he's, like, hesitant to, like, he kind of, like, plays dumb. He's like, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Because he's trying to protect his son from the Templars. So if you're a mage, like I am, you can just, like, kind of cast a spell quickly and be like, he doesn't have anything to fear from me. And so then you immediately get told what happened to him next that way
0: yeah whereas vincento did not want to tell me information so i went to thrask and thrask either way you learn about a former templar named samson who has been helping runaway mages uh flee Kirkwall. and so either way we end up uh going to meet samson uh and we soon learned that samson uh, could not help feynreel uh and so feynreel went to see rainier rainer uh ship captain operating out of the docks uh who samson actually took a girl to earlier uh but is now concerned that the people he's bringing to rainer are not getting freed but they're being um sold into captivity or Mm. or as slaves or things like that um so once we head to the private dock where rainer is we can either we we fight through some raiders but then we get to rainer himself um and we also end up having to fight a mage that turns into an abomination because they are cornered by Rainer's men. <laughs> Once we get to Rainer himself, we can either dialogue check. Um, oh wait, no, sorry, again, I'm I'm messing this up. I, I just have different. This this is a very long quest. <laughs> we we have to kill Rainer, and we learn that uh, there's a bill of sale that. Uh, our, our guy, Fainril, has been sold to some slavers, and so now we need to go take care of the slavers. And then, once we get the slavers, and we meet a dude named Danzig, not the singer, <laughs> there's, we've really been bouncing around Kirkwall on this quest. Um, we can either have a dialogue check uh, and get them out of there, or we can kill the slavers. Uh,
1: or if you got Fenris.
0: Yes. Fenris can just, like,
1: face through him. Fa- and then he yeah, immediately of, like, it what the fuck? And yeah.
0: Um. I, so. I ended up deciding that. See, it wasn't even Danzig. I'm sorry. I keep there's so many characters in this quest. I'm sorry for those at home. Um. <laughs> Danzig is one of the people that we run into, but it's freaking it's another cavern where we then find Varian Illithis who is holding a sword to Fainril's throat. Um, and then we deal with him either through dialogue or through fighting. Um, my, I remember originally doing this. Um, I'm trying to remember this so much. I'm sorry. I thought this was the one where I could say like, you don't know who that is that you have captured. Yeah. Um, this is that one where you can trick them into thinking that's, like, related to the Viscount or whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um,
1: you have to get Varric to... Like, you just call on Varric to do it.
0: Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, yes. That's what I did. I called on Varric. I'm sorry. Ken, take over this one, because I'm just... Now my entire remembrance of this quest is money. Because <laughs> I well, was like, how many dudes did we talk to before we got to Fainrail? <laughs> okay. Well, so...
1: Long story short, we go find the slavers, you can call on Fenris to do his phase thing, and then they give up the information readily, and then you go to the cavern mm-hmm. where the flavors are, then you can get Varric to be like, hey, that's the Viscount's son, you should probably like not declare war on Kirkwall by mm-hmm. kidnapping this dude. And then everyone's like, oh god, okay, cool, and then everybody disperses. Then we talk to Fenrir, and he's kind of like, I've been trying to get to the Dalish because I am just as much Dalish as I am human. So the fact that I am right. human. Um, and so we're like, oh, we know a, a Dalish clan that is very, very close to the city, and we can vouch for you. And he's like, dope. Mission accomplished. Everybody's happy. Go team.
0: Yeah. So so your options there are either they go to the Circle or they go to the Dalish. Uh, or we can try, if you have Bethany in your in your party, you can be like, maybe there's another way or something, but I don't really remember what comes out of that. Um, I think you s- they still end up going to the Dalish in that. Uh, yeah, they yeah. do. They still end up going to the Dalish in that scenario. So, uh, Yeah, it's... So, if you couldn't tell from my description of that quest, I thought it was a little overwrought. Like, it was maybe, like, two or three steps too many, but mm-hmm. also... I did think it really illustrated the way that, um, and we've had a lot of quests up to this point, but the way that people are kind of trafficked through Kirkwall, because we've, we've had a lot of discussion so far of like, oh, there is like a human trade. And even while Kirkwall kind of makes a deal about how, oh, it's not a, it's not a slave city anymore like it used to be, there is still a lot of human trafficking that takes place mm-hmm. in Kirkwall and it's especially prevalent among the poorer people um and we maybe see the counterpoint to all this in a later quest uh which we'll talk about after we get to act of mercy but um overall this this was a really interesting thing because i it it ends up establishing a story quest in act two that i think is very very good um night terrors and Mm. that stuff I, I remember that stuff being quite good, especially because I think it's one of the few times that the Fade has been done right. right. <laughs> um, but this is just kind of, it is very much like your typical beat of a mage was trying to run away and the every system in place to try and help them did not help them and i think that's maybe important to illustrate why so many of the mages turn to things like blood magic because so many of them who have tried in the past to get out of the system and just have their freedom have been shown that the system will take advantage of them whenever possible you know it's fainriel just wants to live a normal life and he's even trying to seek out help he's it's not like he wants you know unlimited freedom to just throw magic at whatever he wants he's trying to get to the dalish because he believes that the dalish will be able to help him control his magic in a way that is not inhumane but every system in place from samson and the templars even down to like the the slavers and things like that they all just want to take various advantage of him however possible and so you can easily see why someone like fainrill who has good intentions could end up turning to blood magic at some point and turning to extreme measures uh and we get we get kind of the follow-up to that through act of mercy which is uh another quest through sir thrask as we learn uh we we go to a cavern on the wounded coast and sir thrask is standing outside a cave where several uh escaped mages have hold themselves up and it's kind of a hostage situation almost except they're basically like hold up the apostates are hold up within the cave uh they were previously uh in the circle in Starkhaven, which was burned to the ground and were being transferred to kirkwall and escape from those templars um so we basically get sent in as the negotiator to try Mm. and figure a way out that we can help them uh help everyone have the best outcome here basically right. uh we go in and we quickly learn that uh the leader of these uh of these uh, of these apostates Decimus has turned to blood magic and basically wants to kill uh templars like he's not just content to live a life of freedom and escape, he wants to kill Templar. And he he wants to do it a lot. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, So no matter what, I believe we, because we are cooperating with Sir Thrask, we always end up fighting Mm -hmm. Decimus. Um, And once we've murdered Decimus, we have a talk with all the remaining apostates um, who basically say that like, Oh, you know, he, he gave us the ability to, um, to to rise up against the Templars, to fight our oppression, to fight the the chains on us. Uh, and we have a lot of options here about what we can do. We can either um, we can kill Thrask. We can say we're not going to help them. Or we can try and convince the Templar that the mages are dead and that no one is left alive inside the cave uh, really either way unless we decide to side with the um, completely side with the Templar here and not help the mages whatsoever we're going to end up fighting the Templar because while mm. Sir Thrask. But oh, hold on. There, hold there's on. A, okay, right. Yeah, I know, I know, all I know. Right, okay, okay. So, if we decide to kill Sir Thrask, we gotta go kill Sir Thrask, right? And and that's that's how that happens. Um. And then we go outside, either that or we meet Sir Thrask, and I, I forget. Can you tell him that you're trying to trick, Keros or or can you like keep it in the dark about it?
1: I don't think you can say anything outright. I think you just kind of have to.
0: Yeah. You know, approach with uh, the
1: situation you've been given.
0: Yeah, but either way, either with Thrask or or with Thrask's dead body, we, we go we go outside and meet Sir Keros, who has arrived with backup, and he's here to take out the mages. Um, so we can send the mages along with uh Keras, and they leave, and that's it. You know, they they just they just leave. Um. Or we can tell Grace, the the apostate mage, that we're kind of working with for the purposes of uh, narrative continuity in in this quest, that they are free and they should live free, and then we got to fight some Templars. Or we can convince the Templars that the mages are dead. And here's the thing. Depending on several different things that happen here, we will either have to fight Keros and the Templars with thrask on our side or without or um, if we have a certain personality type or if we have varic in the party we can completely clear that check and we can convince caros to leave and everyone walks away happy there's a lot going on there and it's really reflective of the way that dragon age two ties in so many different things, like the mm. ability to have companions step in and take over things, um, or the way that your personality can have an effect. Like if you have a humorous personality, uh, you can get out of this scot free, which I think is kind yeah. of funny. Yeah. Um, and there are also just various ways that you could have, think you can kill thrask and still get keros to walk away like they're just different things that can happen here um there's a lot of different checks and modifiers but i mean the one one of the larger takeaways here is that there are people within the templars who are trying to do better for right. the mages um they're not a own mind right there are there are templar who believe that the mages are being mistreated and especially like here as, as we later learn from a quest called an errant letter, um, Thrask has reason to uh, feel bad about the way that mages are treated because his own daughter was a mage. and I believe she was the girl that was sent by Samson to be mm-hmm. uh, ferried away and she like she ends up befalling a, a, a bad fate. Um, right. uh, all of this really ties together to illustrate, how the system works against mages right like this is the hole that mages are constantly forced into their backs are always up against the wall and especially if they're in a place where they cannot afford certain luxuries or certain privileges they often are given you know one of two ways out either turn to blood magic or submit yourself to a system that will probably uh make you tranquil if you dare step out of line if you do something if you sneeze at in an appropriate time um it's all pretty it's all pretty tough in a way Mm. um i I don't know what are what are kind of before we get into magistrates orders which i think kind of puts a different contrast on this specific conflict like what were your kind of your thoughts out of these mage missions i think i mean it's it's kind of weird because like you know you
1: we talk about like you know the the greys and all of these conflicts, but I don't generally. And you know, it, it might just be because you know I am a mage, and that's you know my background in the Dragon Age universe is that they're no they're not really complicated to me. Like I I feel like I've you know as much as I want to like can't maybe not stick my nose in things like the viscount's business or uh you know the canary business. Like this is something that always feels very personal to me. So I'm always you know there's always like a very clear-cut solution for me usually and you know there's not a whole lot of you know huffing and puffing about it like i know exactly what i want to do i know where my priorities lie so here I, I did let Varric kind of like take over and convince them that the mages were all gone and they were you know in the opposite direction so they could all escape so i don't know maybe maybe that makes me blind or maybe it makes me like have like very selective <laughs> viewpoints on what I think mages do or do not deserve, but well, granted, we will get to you know think like the next book we're gonna you know, the Magic Door one, where I did have, you know, a moment where I'm like, okay, maybe the danger of this person is a bit too much for me to stomach, just letting go, but mm-hmm. here I was just like, okay, what is the way that I can solve this with both, you know, the people that I believe should be free, being free, as well as, like, maybe the least amount of bloodshed as possible.
0: Mm-hmm. It is interesting that we do have, like, the option to either try and find middle ground that keeps everybody alive, even if it is ultimately the result of deceit, um, versus, like, you know, taking a much more extreme path towards writing things, and there's kind of the lingering question of whether having everyone walk away alive is going to actually solve anything because you know the bad actors on both sides of this conflict are still going to be alive and could potentially take action later on so you know does leaving sir Keros alive mean that later on some mages are going to find themselves in danger you know if he's yeah. this aggressive about disciplining mages as it were so um The magistrate's orders is kind of the so the interesting twist on this whole conflict, and this was the other quest that I had to like get up and walk away from after the conclusion of, um, we are recruited in Hightown, again, let's use that, that symbology here, um, by the Magistrate Venard, who wants us to go out and retrieve an escaped criminal who's taken refuge in, in a ruin outside Kirkwall. Uh, as he tells it, uh guards have been dispatched but they're surrounded by creatures in the ruin that have made it difficult for the guards to get in and he's basically heard heard tell of of hawk at this point once we get there and, and get to kind of the uh outskirts of the ruins that we're supposed to get into uh we meet the guardsman who is is basically like oh the criminal's probably already dead so i'm just what's even the point and then we meet elrin who is an elven merchant who says like no you need to go in and you need to kill that dude that's in there uh yeah. and as as we learn this specific criminal had been kidnapping and murdering uh elven children for for mm-hmm. years for a long time um and the the, the latest victim the one that happened right before this this standoff situation occurred was elrin's daughter uh, leah and uh he basically accuses them of stalling to allow the murderer to get away mm-hmm. and and as we as we gradually learn um they want us to bring like the magistrate and the guard are very specific they want the criminal brought back alive they do not want the criminal killed right initially this kind of gets played as oh we're just serving out the sentence that was served to him he's supposed mm. to serve life in prison so he's going to serve a life in prison or whatever he's going to serve out the proper sentence yeah let's put a pin in that one mm. <laughs> um uh, but basically we get asked by the father to like no if you get in there and you find him you put a dagger in his heart um uh once we we start working our way through the ruins through a bunch of spiders and other creatures and stuff we eventually find leah leah's alive inside Mm -hmm. the ruins uh the criminal had let her go and uh she um he he was in the act of as she calls it tort her hurting her not necessarily Mm -hmm. torturing just hurting her and and uh but he he stops and starts crying says that demons in his head are making him do these things mm. tells her tells her to run away um leah ins- asks hawk to not hurt the criminal i'm um, yeah. saying he's not responsible it's a demon please find a way to help him um, once we fight our way through we meet the criminal we learn is named kelder he's actually Vinard's son and for ages magistrate venard has been covering up all the things that kelder has been doing and basically that's the reason why venard wants him returned alive because it's his son Mm. um and meanwhile kelder himself basically begs to be killed because he doesn't think that he can stop the, the quote-unquote demons in his head that are compelling him to kill more children. Um, right. um, so, I think one important thing to discuss here, and we'll, we'll do all this before we talk about what choice we, we, we chose, but it's heavily implied throughout this that it's not it's not a direct demon that's doing this right. it's not like a lust demon or a pride mm. demon or a sloth demon it is um potentially a mental illness that is causing right. this i think and which is like, even, like i think if you have Andrew even said something along the lines of like
1: the circle would not have let you go if they thought you actually had a demon within you exactly
0: yeah um so boy we get into some territory here because i think this is honestly the first time we really see dragon age grapple with something like this i don't Mm. remember it coming up much in origins at least not explicitly it's always had kind of questions about practices like tranquility which have ties to mental illness in the real world and um there there are certainly discussions that could have hovered around the subject but this is like very directly approaching that and it also directly approaches some of the stuff we were talking about with mages and Templar earlier, which is, this is illustrating that um, it's okay to do the crimes if you are in a position to where your, right. your father will get you out of it. Right. Um, and all in all, um, I, ended up, I ended up choosing to kill Kelder myself. Mm-hmm um because it is what he wanted um it's it's what he expressed he wanted and it i knew that leaving i I felt that leaving him might uh result in future issues but Mm. it made me feel terrible for doing it like i felt terrible that there was not a way to to help him essentially um and then on the flip side, if you do choose to try and free him, you know, obviously Elrin gets extremely furious with you. Um, Vinard basically um, dismisses that Keldor needs help at all, refuses to put him in, the pri- in prison, and... Um, basically it's it's just implied that nothing will change and it's it's possible that kelder continues doing what he's always done because no one around him will help him right this is it's really tough <laughs> it's, mm-hmm. if if we talk about like we've had two quests so far in this act that really just don't give you an option for like the best outcome like bioware games have done in the past where they're like, Hey, you know, you can pick option A or option B, but option C will be the best possible outcome. And, you know, like I, I I keep thinking of the Brazilian forest where it's like, Oh, you can side with the wolves or Mm. or the elves, or you can cure everybody. And then really only a few people die here. It's like, no, no, this is, (laughs) this is what's going to happen. Like thing, bad things are going to happen. And you are choosing which evil you are content with living with. And, for once in a game that has... Yeah, you know, as we were talking about with like the Templars in the cave, where really there's one side that feels right and feels mm-hmm. good, and then there's variations on that, but really it, you feel like you'd have to go out of your way to want to do the other option. Um, This one feels more like it's actually achieving the idea of you've got to live with what you chose, and it's right. not going to sit well. Um, But I I do wish that... In grappling with a concept like mental illness, that there mm-hmm. had been more of an effort made here to you know. to try and not make it seem like oh, it's the demons and stuff right. like that, and so and, and making it seem yeah. like death was the only option for a cure in this world. Like right. this, this was the part where I wished for a magic Bioware solution, as bad mm-hmm. as that sounds, because even if there was just an option that was like, we're going to help him get away, but I'm not taking him back to his father. You know, I'm going to take him back to Anders' clinic and we're going to see what we can do, or something like that. Even if it does end up having bad results down the line, I don't like the only way you have to respond to this moment is kill or not kill. Right.
1: Like, at least in that scenario, there is an attempt to being made that is clearly not being made by this kid's, like, own support system. Like, that kid is being coddled in a way that, you know, like you said, it's, it's from his father's status. Like, it's a whole fucking thing. I ended up letting Fenris kill him, which is, like, one option you have, and Fenris is like, you know, he is killing a mage, he's not, like, taking active pleasure in anything. He's just like, this is what he wants. This is, like, what he's asking for. Allow me to do it so you don't have to. And I'm like, okay, cool. I don't... Because, you know, like, I, I sympathize for th- this kid has... Probably for his entire life, like, been coddled in a way that, like, he thinks... Like, he truly does believe he has demons. And that he is not being made to see any other possibility. But then there's also a part of me like, if I let this dude go, if I let him go back home, the the, the lives of the elves that he kills, they're on my hands. Like, that is mm-hmm. on me. So, yeah, like, there is no... There's no feel-good ending here, but this is at least the one... I felt like there was like the the fewer the casualties because like i don't know if they're like if anything specifically is referenced if you do let him live but this is one person for saving possible dozens
0: others from what i can see on on the dragon age wiki shout out to to the dragon age fandom wiki um if if kildur lives only like effect it has is that leah and her father leave kirkwall uh whereas if you do kill kelder uh leah will show up again later on uh and make reference to this um to this event and that that's about the result of it right and yeah i just have a tough time like reconciling the fact that it feels like the decision to kill him is also playing into his own demons in a way like he -hmm. he keeps thinking that death is the only option to to end all this and I almost wish there had been some sort of hopeful note to put on this because then if you do choose the idea that maybe you can get him help maybe you can seek it out you take him to his father and his father's like nope and that's it and there's not even like a follow-up quest after that and I feel like that's almost why um I ended up choosing this route this time because when I first played this game, I, I did choose to try and save him. Um, but knowing that even if I did try to get him help, nothing would come of it, the game was not going to give me that option to to try and get help and try and be that support system for this mm-hmm. character, which is maybe one of the, the bigger writing disappointments I've had so far. And I understand that this... Mm-hmm. You know, the game's not always supposed to give you the happy outcome, right? It's not supposed to cater to you and i've i was talking about this recently with a friend the idea that games are supposed to take place like to suit a player's um it wants you to feel like you're in power at all times Mm. you know a lot of video games are, are about they are video games are power fantasies they are worlds in which you get to step in and enact change and drive things to your decisions and even when you are making decisions that end up in bad results you are still the one that has said I have made this choice and this is the outcome that has happened and in a situation like this you no matter what you do the outcome largely going to be the same so it I don't know it's I mean, if you can't tell I'm still like grappling with my feelings about how I right. feel about this and and I just keep coming away from it being, like, I wish there had been some... If, if there was a place where I feel like Dragon Age should have stepped in and said, you know, we're going to sprinkle a little bit of hope here, this is the place I wish it had happened. Because um, yeah. there are there are times, like, this is a game that is about, like, bad things happening and how mm. we, we cope with them. And we've got a lot more on the way, don't worry. But... <laughs> um, it it does at times still make an effort to step in and say like there's still right to be done here. I just felt bad that this was the area where they decided to not do that. And yeah. feel like not having something here is a choice whether it is deliberate or not. So right. That's that's where I'm at. This is already turning into a very long podcast. So we're going to kind of speed through one of these called the first sacrifice. Uh, because this really doesn't start playing into the larger narrative until we get into uh, Act 2 of Dragon Age 2. Essentially, we can run into a help-wanted poster uh, about a missing person. We meet someone named Ghislaine de Carrick. Probably butchered that terribly, but his wife Nanette is missing, and uh, we can offer to help try and find her. We learn that Nanette um, has been... Hanging around with someone at the Blooming Rose, um, Jathan, Jeth- I believe his name. Yeah, Jathan. <laughs> he's he's a um, an entertainer at the Blooming Rose, which is the the brothel in this game. Uh, there's also a Templar named Emmerich looking for her as well, and Emric believes that it's not a case of uh, of Nanette running off, but that. Uh, there's there's something more insidious at work here uh and um he's emmerich has been investigating uh multiple women's disappearances uh which which ends up leading us through this whole thing where we end up dealing with a desire demon and uh eventually encounter a mage that seems to have been involved in in the things that have gone on here um i don't believe we i believe that mage gets away i believe yep. Marin, the one that we try to to track down gets away and all we ultimately get um is is ninette's a bone and so like ninette's ring among the bones so we have to go inform Gizlane that uh ninette has been found dead um this ends up playing into later Missions, I believe, yeah. It's a prelude to a major mission mm-hmm. later on. It's actually, I don't believe, necessary to complete. It just kind of gives us a... Um... Right. Some foreshadowing. No, actually, this might be. I- I'm scrolling up. It's a secondary quest, so it's not necessary to complete as far as I understand the quest system in this game, but it is a fairly bulky quest that gives us a like prelude to what is going to happen uh, in Prime Suspect in Act 2. Uh, it is a very interesting mission, it's a very dark mission but mm-hmm. it also then gives us an idea of like i like it because it gives us an idea of what the templar do on a day-to-day basis and also right. like we get another example similar to thrask of a templar who is trying to do good within the system right and and Emric i believe is the one who's kind of an elderly um yeah. templar who uh he's kind of like I'm t- getting too old for this shit <laughs> so um I like his character a lot he's he's fun um yeah. to kind of round off our templar uh roundup we're going to meet a good old friend here we're going to meet Colin again a <laughs> good old friend guess who ended up in Kirkwall too um it's kind of funny to think about that Colin I never really recalled that Colin is the character that is like a through line in the Dragon Age series but he is um yeah, he is what, he's, like he's one here. of the
1: only one fifth in every game.
0: Yeah, wow. Yeah, um, we uh, we're we're trying to track down some stuff that's been going wrong with the Templars. Um, a woman uh, is looking for her missing brother, a Templar recruit um, who has mysteriously gone missing, and as we are uh, investigating things talk to some of his friends and stuff we run into cullen in the outskirts of kirkwall who is also looking into the situation surrounding some disappearing templars and all of a sudden will Mod, uh turns into a shade and abominations show up and then blammo oh there's magic stuff happening so um cullen was being aggressive with Wilmot as he tells us because uh he's noticed that some Templars have recently been exhibiting some uncharacteristic behavior and he believes that something is going wrong uh up to this point we've kind of been led to believe that there's an overly stressful initiation ritual that the Templars are being subjected to by Knight Commander Meredith who is the leader of the Templar in Kirkwall uh that could be resulting in Templars dying and it being covered up but as Colin tells us we he doesn't think that that has anything to do with it um the initiation ritual is really more like a vigil uh, yeah. <laughs> he says that the greatest danger the recruits face is falling asleep um <laughs> but he thinks there's something more insidious going on and uh we learn that wilmod and our missing templar karen were last seen at the blooming rose uh so we we head over there, and we learn that they have last seen Iduna, the exotic wonder from the east. Ugh, <laughs> <laughs> and um, we we go up there and basically try to seduce them, no matter what hawk we're playing. So at least you know, Dragon Age Two is getting that right. Um, pretty soon, Iduna casts a blood magic spell on hawk to compel them into uh doing what they want and all of a sudden we realize uh-oh we're dealing with blood magic and adona tries to make hawk kill themselves by dragging their knife across their own throat now in your case ken i'm imagining you broke this on mm-hmm. your own mm-hmm. uh since you are a mage yeah. and um yes <laughs> and one of those is you can be <laughs> i'm imagining in your head the way this played out be like you have no idea how powerful i truly am you have no um, power here yeah um god i keep thinking about that that moment from dragon age origins <laughs> that mean <meme. laughs> have sex with a woman or die <laughs> He's like sweating push the button oh what a great podcast that was mm-hmm. um we have a good show Ooh, good yeah, show that, was, that was a good one we, we, we like to have fun here um even on these longer episodes as they were uh if we if we do not have a mage in the party or we try to break it ourselves we kind of just end up murdering idunna like just straight up we don't really get to question her afterwards uh but uh you can ask for help with the mind control if you are not a mage and if you have uh okay so this is the weird part and this was weird for me i thought that my my party i believe was Verrick. no it was um aveline isabella and meryl mm. and i assumed that Merrill would be the one that i could call for help here um here the uh, the way it takes place is you can ask anders bethany or isabella for some reason hmm. isabella can intervene what does she uh, not... do like so that's actually who i ended up selecting because that's um and isabella is basically like oh but i don't i don't want to kill her she she wants to have some fun and stuff like <laughs> that and you can be like isabella and <laughs> she'll be like fine <laughs> and it's it's actually pretty comical i i advise you you look it up after this um mm, it's okay. it's it's pretty fun and i was like oh that that definitely plays into that like dynamic there i kind of enjoyed that um even though i was kind of like why didn't it let me pick meryl that's weird yeah um, i would have maybe maybe meryl's just like haha this is uh, what's going on here <laughs> 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 um so if we do not immediately kill Idana, so basically in both our cases, uh, she we find out she is a blood mage who did enchant Wilmod and Karen, possibly other Templars, and sent them to Tyrone who is a person that has been implanting demons in them to sow chaos and paranoia. Um, basically th- this Tyrone guy is like, he wants to recreate or, or um, oh, I'm sorry, Tyrone is a, a woman, isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> Tyrone's a woman. Um... I, keep, I i get tyrone confused with the the killer mage that we had in that previous quest um tyrone uh she's trying to restart the imperium uh and mm. basically change up the power dynamic to rule as uh mages rather than you know be confined to the circle she's also got and... some very interesting makeup choices Oh yeah, no! Don't. What worry. is we'll that? What is
1: that lip color, girl?
0: What are you, what are you doing <laughs> She she was like, you know what? I I think dead is the color of my lips. I think that's what mm-hmm. I want. I want dead and need of chapstick. That's what I need. Uh, yes. <laughs> so, uh we can either kill uh Idana or turn her over to the Templars. I turned her over to the Templars. Um, mm. That's impressive. because I, I just fucking killed her. Oh okay. No, I was like, she might have some more info. I don't want to let her off the hook that easy. We're going to... And also, like, in this situation, I was more willing to cooperate with someone like Cullen, who seemed like he was in it for Mm. good reasons, not just, like, I hate mages reasons. Uh, He's definitely changed a lot since the Circle in Ferelden. Like, he's definitely not the, oh, all mages are terrible, just go in there and slaughter them all. Um, He's definitely more like okay you know what there are like reasons that these things happen and we don't need to like overstep ourselves in punishment or whatever he's still very much a he gets answers with the most direct way possible he's not subtle as as we later learn in inquisition as well he's not liliana or josephine Mm -hmm. he is cullen he hits things but uh he's he's maybe a bit more tempered than he was in the past yeah um a little less fanatical um we go to, we go to confront the blood mage hideout, uh, and we meet our, god, what is, what is going on with that face, Tarot? <laughs> what are you doing? Um, mm. and we also find Karen floating in some sort of like magical cage. And also he's like, is he naked in this? He got, no, he's, he's got, got pants. Cle- he's got pants. Okay. They, they gave him pants. That's better than Castlevania season three, you know, y'all should watch mm. Castlevania season three if you haven't yet. That poor guy didn't get pants for so long. Um, <laughs> it's, um we we don't really have a choice here, you know, siding with or against Tyrone. We have to fight Tyrone um and save save Karan. Uh Karen, as it were. The good kind of Karen. Not the <laughs> not the bad kind of Karen. Um and once once we've uh helped him out we basically have a moment where we're like okay wait a minute has he been infested with the demons too Mm -hmm. now if you have meryl or anders um you can test him out right uh meryl is the one that as far as i know is the most effective because she literally checks karen's blood and says like it doesn't smell like demons which i was like "Mira, what the <laughs> hell but but also like okay. good job whereas yep. anders is just like basically tases him and this right. is
1: like that, it, uh, I, I had anders to do that too so if I, yeah
0: okay. yeah and he's basically like well a demon would have come out if he was if he was uh possessed so he's not possessed which i thought was funny like meryl's like oh i'll just cut you open and smell your blood and then andrew's like i'm (laughs) gonna (laughs) tase him uh bethany is not able to do it um due to not being super knowledgeable about demons that's kind of weird um but we then get the option to uh let karen know whether we're going to tell Colin about this or not and then uh Anders can also ask us to not necessarily bring up the whole blood magic mm-hmm. part when we talk to Colin as well. So when we get back to Colin, we have the option of telling him how much information we want to give him, and also whether Karen should be in the order still or not. I kept Karen in the order, uh, and I basically was like, "Hey, look, we tested him already. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. he's good. He's not possessed. And honestly, he was like doing the best he could." Uh, and then you also get a um, an option here where you can be like not all mages are like this. Like, right. it's not... This or, is not a thing. Or you
1: can say that you're a
0: mage, which is... I, yeah.
1: Which I'm, is maybe... Uh... It's a recurring thing. And, like, I... For, like, my own sanity's sake of, like, the, like being, like, rational in-universe, I, I try not to mention that I'm a mage at all, like, despite the fact that the option comes up several times, even before Hawk has, like, the status to, like, overcome that. So I was right. just like, I'm not gonna... I'm not you're a hawk about. that
0: understands their fifth amendment rights all right <laughs> it's <laughs> no snitching on yourself <laughs> and then and then we also can be like there has to be a better way um in regards to the the relationship between mages and templars or we can just be like man fuck it this is this is all messed up and and mages are terrible and you should keep being terrible towards them but you can kind of mm. shape the let's say the outlook of cullen in this part which is which is neat and and i think cullen ends up being this interesting character in in the breadth of dragon age because we get to see a templar that gradually comes around to the Mm -hmm. idea of mages are not terrible and he ends up kind of especially by inquisition ends up being that character that can be like i have learned that things can be better and so mm-hmm. i'm you know i'm trying to make that better whereas other characters obviously like knight commander meredith and stuff like that are very much like no we have to maintain our power over the mages or they will kill us right. um i like i by the end of this mission i was already like i like Colin a lot more than i remember liking him before and so i'm really interested to see how this ends up affecting my view of him once we get into inquisition because i remember most of what I remember about Colin from Inquisition is him just kind of being like comic relief. Like, literally, the only thing I really remember about Colin was him either him walking in on the um, the Inquisitor and in Iron Bull in that mm-hmm. one cutscene, or uh, him during the poker game. Like, I just remember him yeah. kind of being like the bumbling jock in a way. Kind of, yeah. Um, and it, it's nice to see just in playing these games so close together you know not over the span of years and and really seeing his character have this arc Mm -hmm. it's 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 good to see and it at least tells me that like bioware is trying to make this a story that is not just pick one side or pick the other but it's trying to illustrate that there are characters that are working to find middle ground and Mm -hmm. to create a better system of understanding between both parties yeah
1: for sure for sure (sighs)
0: Um, love to see it. You do love to see it, and you love to see Colin. We're always happy to see Colin around here, Lovely. and we're always happy to have patrons donating to our wonderful Patreon. As always, we are Normandy FM. We have a Patreon at patreoncom slash fm where you, uh, the the listeners at home, can support us, can uh, back us, can get us closer to some of those tiers. Are we at Jade Empire money yet? We are very close. We are very close to Jade Empire money. If you want us to hit that tier, clear that funding goal, and get to the point where once Dragon Age ends in that far off future <laughs> we will go on to cover jade empire uh you can head over to patreon.com slash and back us you can even back us at a level that will get you a shout out on every episode of normandy fm as always we love to thank those patrons that hit at that level that includes kevin kulikowski jenny Wu, chris johns anthony matthias alice hawk colin just colin and just reds we've got some some jest going on here we have got some <laughs> like i'm liking alice hawk as well i don't know if that's uh if that's your actual name alice hawk or if that's a uh, if that's a uh a pen name as it were a, a pseudonym but i dig it uh thank you so much i'm happy to see some new names on that list i'm happy that we're encouraging some some fervent following here i would hope that y'all are enjoying this podcast at home during these quarantine times that Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe you're finding some extra time to go back and revisit these games. I believe that Mass Effect went on sale recently for like Xbox. $10. Yeah. Come on. What are you doing? If if you have not played through Mass Effect, first of all, how did you find us? I'm really curious about that. <laughs> Second of all, uh, if you would just want to do a replay and then re-listen back to some old episodes of NormDFM, uh, hear our thoughts on it then. Hear all the ways in which we were probably wrong and would change our takes if we could. Yeah. <laughs> But that's not the nature of a podcast. we got to say this stuff and let it sit in stone forever. Definitely doesn't give me anxiety. <laughs> you can always follow us at Twitter.com slash show. if you don't want to donate to the Patreon. Uh, if you don't have that cash available right now, we understand. you got to spend those stimulus checks on other stuff, you know. Um, I heard OnlyFans is up right now, so, you know, y'all get out there and support what you got to support. <laughs> <laughs> mm. Sorry, folks, we're not starting one of those yet. <laughs> <laughs> circle back in six months we'll see how we're doing then <laughs> um, as always you can find us on all those podcast services as well ken we have one more episode to go in act one of dragon age two we are already almost a third of the way through dragon age two can you believe it It's wild it's like it's going so fast <laughs> it's ridiculous like we just we just started it just got here already almost a third of the way through maybe we should make the season longer to make up for how long dragon age origins felt because origins felt like a lifetime
1: every minute of the dragon age Origins season for like 10 minutes so
0: <laughs> next week we will finally be venturing into the deep runs. we've got our cash we've got our crew we're gonna go find some ancient treasure nothing will go wrong because we are hawk and everything goes right for hawk at the end of the day as long as you're the main character. But we'll see the rest of y'all there on Normandy FM.
1: We have watched and waited.